Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is our sixth and final week in the book of James. And if you've been here for any of the first five weeks, you've heard me talking about how James was the biological brother of Jesus Christ. And he started off in the narrative as a skeptic. So if you're here or you're watching, and you would self-identify as a skeptic, if you're, if you're here or you're watching, and, and you, you love the teachings of Jesus, but you're not sure about the supernatural stuff, like you just don't know if you buy into, you know, all, all the, the stuff about the miracles and the resurrection and all this other stuff, like if you're just not really sure about that, you don't, you don't really know, you know, what's going on, then, then you would have gotten along really well with James. You would have gotten along really well with him. Because when he starts, he's just sarcastic about the whole thing. And, and you can imagine it, right? Je- Jesus was embedded within a real family. He had real brothers who treated him like real brothers would. So if you're, just think for a minute, if your brother started claiming to be God incarnate, what would you do? <laughs> like, just ponder. Some of you are like, yeah, he, he did once. He tried that. It didn't work. You know, like, I, so if you're here, think about this. If your brother claimed to be God you would tease him about it. You'd give him garbage about it. And if he seemed serious, you'd be like, I'm starting to get worried about him. All of that stuff was happening embedded within Jesus' family. And James starts off as a skeptic. So if you're new, you would have gotten along really well with James as he first appears in, in, in the New Testament. An interval of time later, Jen, James puts the pen to the paper, and he is not only a believer, he's on fire. He is convinced that his brother was and is the incarnate son of God. And what took place between point A and point B, the thing that changed in him wasn't his adherence to the teachings. James didn't go, you know, I've been studying my brother's teachings. I've been reading these parables and oh, there's such wisdom and I'm now convinced that he's the son of God. That's not what happened. What happened, which took Christianity out in, in, in a blast wave around Jerusalem, what happened in shockwave after shockwave after shockwave as Christianity penetrated into the culture, outward bound from Jerusalem, wasn't the teachings of Jesus. It wasn't that new city after new city after new city learned of what Jesus said. It was that new city after new city after new city and people group after people group after people group learned he is risen from the dead. What took James from skeptic to believer was the resurrection. It was the idea and the fact that his brother was dead and is now alive. That's what took James from skeptic to believer. So, so, so now James is a believer, and James has a great seat. Like, he's watching something unfold. James is observing the earliest, the earliest iteration of the first church. The church is just taking shape. It's just starting to coagulate. It's just, the cement is just starting to harden on the thing. It's just starting to form itself. And immediately, he does not like what he sees. He doesn't like that his brother's name is getting attached to this. People are not, they're they're, they're doing things way off base. Human nature is making its way in. And so James starts out, and, and if you've been here any of the last five Sundays, you've heard James is pretty direct. He doesn't, James, James could have been from Long Island, yeah? 
He doesn't pull punches. He's really direct. He's in your face. You always know where you stand. So James starts off and he goes, listen up, everybody. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. These are your marching orders. He has a lot to say about the tongue. Then he does this whole thing about insiders and outsiders. The early church is gathering, and, and they're giving preferential treatment to rich people. Rich and successful people, when they come in, they're given a great seat. Somebody brings them a, a little, a little uh, you know, an hors d'oeuvre, like they're treated well. You know, the, but, and the poor people are told, go sit in the back. And, and James breaks this down. Now, what's, what's going, James says you can't give preferential treatment to rich people. Now, what's happening is simply this. In the early church, and you, you can kind of understand it, right? In the early church, as the thing is starting to take shape, as the thing is starting to, to form, those who are at the center of it want it to succeed. They want it to be taken seriously. They want people to, to uh, you know, to, to believe in, in them and to, to be a part of the movement. And so they want wealthy people to be a part of it. They don't want it to just be a gathering of homeless people. No one will take it seriously then. So they want the people joining the church to be wealthy. They, it would be okay if, if they were good looking. It'd be okay if they knew how to accessorize a little bit. Be okay if, if they had some political connections and some juice and they knew people. Like that's kind of what they want as, as the early church forms. And James just rides right into this with a, with a wrecking ball and goes, no, 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 no. That is not how it goes. There is no us and them, it's just us. You can't give preferential treatment to the wealthy. Now the way we apply that in our church is simply this. We don't have a preferential treatment system for wealthy or poorer people. Our auditorium doesn't have a rich section and a poor section. Some of you are wondering, am I in the poor section? I mean, is this bad? No, you're not. You're not in the poor section because According to the biblical definition of the word, we're all rich. All of us are rich. Now, I know you don't feel rich. I know you didn't walk in here thinking, I am rich. I get it. I understand. It's because it's an emotional thing. It's a feeling. But there are feelings and then there are facts. You feel me? There are feelings and then there are facts. Everybody understand? Feelings and facts. Here are some facts. If you live indoors, you're one up on a large percentage of the planet. You have good shelter. You live indoors, you're safe from the elements. You got hot and cold running water. Do you? Yeah, you do. You got climate control, getting a little chilly, turn the heat up. You don't want to turn it up too much because you don't want the heating bill to go up. But you can turn it up, you can turn it up if you want to. You got an extra sweater, you bring out the extra blankets this time of year. You can keep warm. You got more than enough food to eat got extra. You, you, you can afford a slice of pizza once in a while. You got some extra change in a dish somewhere. You're rich, globally speaking. So that's not how we apply that. The way we apply that is this. We are called to love the other. We're called to love our neighbor. And Jesus was asked once, somebody come, pulled up on Jesus, and they were trying to trap Jesus, and they're like, okay, yeah, 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 I get it, I get it, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, fine. And who is my neighbor? Because this person was, the, the, the one asking the question was Jewish, and he just kind of thought, well, yeah, I'm supposed to love everybody like me. I'm supposed to love everybody who thinks like me and acts like me and votes like me and, and is like me. And Jesus tells, what Jesus unfolds then is the parable of the Good Samaritan. You guys remember this? 
The parable of the Good Samaritan. Samarians were, were a different race. They were a totally different people group, and they were despised. Like people would spit. Nobody wanted to hear a story where the Samaritan was the hero. And Jesus says, who is your neighbor? That guy. The, the member of that people group you despise. That's your neighbor. That's who you're called to love. So as James observes this early iteration of the church, he's saying, you guys need to get your head together on this. There is no us and them. There is no, oh, well, our sin isn't as bad as their sin. It's just us. We're all, we're all God's children, and the ground before the cross is what? Level. He gives them an earful about gossip. He gives them an earful about outward-bound living versus inward-bound living, which if you need to hear that, you can go back and listen to it. Today we're picking it up at the end of James chapter 4. This is chapter 4, verse 11. Don't speak, back to the tongue, words, don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Okay, remember the neighbor concept. Remember that James is riffing on his brother's teachings. James is, is, there's a ton of parallels, scholars have drawn dozens of them, tons of parallels between the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount. So James is, is riffing on, on what his brother's teaching. And, and so this whole neighbor thing, who are you to judge your neighbor? And who is your neighbor? It's that people group you hope never shows up to True North. It's that people group you just want to stay unassociated with. It's that people group you want to stay, you know, apart from. And, and so how, how would you treat that person? And, and are you, do you secretly think, okay, this is for you if you're a believer. This is not for you if you're new. Although if it applies, go right ahead. Do you secretly think that your sin isn't as bad as their sin Is there something inside of you that's kind of secretly, can, oh yeah, I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm, I, know I'm, I, I, I need God's grace, yeah, yeah, but I'm not as bad as them. I'm not as bad as her. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as that group. At least I'm not like them. Is there anything like that going on in here or in here? Because if there is, you've got business to do with James, end of James chapter 4. We're, not, we're called to not judge each other. We're called to not form those opinions. When we form those opinions, we start creating an imaginary hierarchy in our head. Platforms that we may stand on. Well, I, 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 yes, I, I understand that I'm a sinner, but I still have some elevated status. I'm not as bad as them. I'm a little bit better than them. The them, they, the other, the neighbor, those outside of the thing, they're in trouble. They have business to do with God. I'm glad I'm not in their shoes, and they need to just stay out there and get their, get their act together before they... And so so the, it, it starts, this judgment in our head starts to create these elevated platforms upon which we think we stand, but we don't because the ground before the cross is level. No, there's no us and them. It's just us. 
And you've heard it before, but learn it, apply it. We're called not to judge. And now James turns a corner, and I'm going to, like, if you're, if you're, uh, all I can say is, if this is your first time in church, I'm sorry about what's about to happen, <laughs> okay? Like, I just, I, 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 I'm not really sorry about what James writes, because it's the scriptures, but, like, if you're, if you're new to church, J- James is very direct, and he's really serious about what's going on with insiders. So understand, if you're new, these verses are not necessarily for you, Okay? And if you're a believer, tune in. Listen up. This is James chapter 5, verse 1. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you've hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You've condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Okay, so uh, this is the second or third time in this series that we've had to come away from the scripture and go, okay, James, wow. So, so let's start off. What does he start with? You rich people. Did you know, I don't know if you knew this, did you know that not every verse in the Bible applies to every person? I, I don't know if you knew that, but it's true. Not every verse in the Bible applies to every person. These verses are not for poor people. These verses are for rich people. So if you're poor, you get a pass on all that. You don't have to listen to that stuff. So, but what happens is when we read that, now I don't know if you, you know, if you read the Bible on your own once in a while, and I hope you do, if you ever open your Bible to James chapter 5 and read that, and it says you rich people, what you might do is immediately tune out. You might go, yeah, man, those dudes in the Hamptons better pay attention to this. Those dudes on, on Billionaire's Row in Manhattan overlooking Central Park, they better pay attention. Better be careful here for those guys. Because you and I think, because we're just, you know, most, m- most of our church kind of regular working class, blue collar people, you know, like, you know, we're, we're struggling to make it through. We're trying to pay our crazy taxes and do what we got to do to get by on Long Island. But we, see, here's the thing. We think rich people live in the Hamptons and fly on private jets and have condos in Malibu. And they do. But those are not rich. Those are like the uber rich. That's the top .001%. We think that's the 1%. That's not the 1%. We're part of the 1%. We're rich. So these verses, I hate to drop this on you, these verses are for us. And he says something out of the gate that doesn't make sense. He says, weep, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of the troubles ahead of you. Weep and groan with anguish because of the trouble coming? That sounds like something you might say to a poor person. Why, it's almost as if there's a reversal happening. James is almost predicting a reversal, isn't he? 
Weep and groan, you rich people, because of the terrible troubles coming your way. It, might, it, you, it would make more sense would not to say, weep and groan, you poor people, because of the terrible, terrible troubles coming your way. For a rich person, that lands, that lands funny. It hits different, right? A rich person kind of goes, what, what, what do you mean terrible troubles head? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have terrible troubles head my way. I'm rich. You are mistaken, sir. Those terrible troubles are bound for someone else. And James is going, no, 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 no. You counted on the wrong thing. You backed the wrong horse. You're playing the short game. You're not playing the long game. Listen, in time, the wealth corrodes. In time, the wealth, like, it undercuts what you think is going to be your security. It goes away. Now, physically, in these days, people had physical coins which were capable of rust and corrosion under certain conditions. And then your wealth simply became worthless. So a great interpretation for us today is, hey, you know what, team? It comes and it goes, doesn't it? Could anyone here testify to the fact that it comes and it goes? Yeah, a lot of us could, right? A lot of us could. Yeah, you're doing great, 401K's up, things are through the roof, things are good, there will be a correction. Things go up, things go down, you can't count on that. And because you've counted on it, and because you've made your life all about that, there are others who are doing without because of that. So you might read that and go, the workers in my fields that I've cheated, please, first of all, I don't have fields, I don't have people working in my fields, and I never cheated, I'm not cheating anyone out of their wages. Yeah, I get that. That's not what James is saying. What James is saying is, you're living like it's all for you. You're living like it's all yours. Some of what you have was meant to be a blessing to others. And if you're living like it's all yours, there are others who are doing without. Did that make sense? This is for you if you're a believer. If you're, not a, if you're new to church or you're watching and you're new or you're just checking this place out, you would not yet self-identify as a believer. This isn't for you. But if you're a believer, and you've been walking with God for a while, and you're not tithing, these verses are for you. Now, if you're, if you're new or newer to church, you don't know what tithing. Tithing isn't just giving away something. Tithing is giving away a percentage. The scriptures identify 10% as the percentage. 10% of what comes in goes back out as an offering to God. Our church practices that. 10% of what comes in goes back out as an offering to other, other ministries, other churches, other individuals, other stuff. We're called to that. And some of you have just, you're kind of just living like it's all for you. You're living like, like everything you have is yours. Every, some of what you have was meant for other people. And if you're withholding that, and you're living like it's all about me, and you're just inward bound with your finances, and you're inward bound with your aim, and it's all about how much you can amass, and how much you can gain. That is gonna blow up in your face someday. And you will have missed out, not only on the blessing that comes from being generous, you'll have missed out on an opportunity to change somebody else's life with your generosity. Don't miss that opportunity. And that works for you even if you're not a believer. Now, I know, if you're new, you were hoping I wasn't going to say anything about money. If you, you're new or, or you, you invited somebody who's here for the first time, you're like, oh, why this week did he have to get into this? I know, I know, I know. But listen up. This is great for you if you're, if, you're, if you're new. Perfect. 
Because you can decide now whether this is the kind of church you want to be a part of. This is the kind of church that, 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 that this is, yeah? If you don't believe in what we're about, look, if you're new, you don't trust me. You don't know me. You don't know the organization. You don't, you're sort of, you're still on your heels. You don't know yet. I respect that 100%. I'd be thinking the same exact thing if I was you. So here's your challenge if you're new. You don't believe in me. You don't believe in me. You don't believe me. You don't believe in, in what this church is about. Go give the money away someplace else. Go find a charity or an organization you do believe in. Don't let your distrust of, of, of the church cheat you out of the blessings that come from being generous because this works whether you're a Christian or not. Amen. It's a principle. This outward bound living thing, this generosity thing, it works whether you're a believer or not. Try it. Amen. James is calling us to live that way. And, and, and there's direct, this is, this is direct for those of us right up in our face who have not obeyed God on this principle. He continues. This is James chapter 16. Sorry, James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Okay, so confess your sins to one another. Why would James nudge the early church and challenge the early church to confess their sins to each other? Because everybody's walking around like they don't have any problems. Well, that sounds like the modern church. Amazing the similarities, doesn't it? Isn't it? Like, have you ever, you ever come to church and you walk in here and it just seems like, man, everybody else in this place has their act together. Everybody else in this place has their life together. Everyone's really well put together. Everyone's, everyone's doing well. Everyone's happy. Everyone's smiling. They all seem so holy and so righteous. And they pray and they lift their hands when they worship. And this must be the gathering of the holy. And, that must, and, and, and I don't know if I fit into that. And here's the problem. The problem is you compare what you know about yourself to what you don't know about everybody else. So if you act like, you know, and it's not necessarily that people are behaving in such a way that they're deceitful. No one's intentionally saying, I don't have any issues. It's just nobody's talking about anything. So we're called, confess your sins to one another. Now this presupposes some relational mileage. In other words, don't just start doing this with a stranger. Like, don't walk up to somebody out there, can I just tell you all my sins? Like, that would be weird. Don't make it weird. Let's don't do that, Yeah. Talk to somebody you're connected with. Talk to a friend. Talk to somebody who's walking on the journey with you. You know where a great place to do this is? In a community group. With a group of other people who, who, are, who are on the path with you. Who you can connect with. You want to join a community group? Come on. Head, head, to the, to, head to the welcome desk. We would love to connect you. Talk to somebody. Why? Why would that be a thing? Number one, because it unburdens you. You, 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 you. You'd be amazed how good it feels to unburden yourself, to talk. If the person is safe space for you, if this is a person you trust, you can share what's going on in your heart. And, and if someone shares with you, your job then is to listen, be compassionate, and then hold them accountable. That means you check in every once in a while. So let's say somebody, you're with somebody, maybe there's somebody over lunch, that trusts you, or maybe you're in your community group and somebody shares with you, I'm just struggling so hard with hate. I, have, I've, I just hate 
my boss. I hate my neighbor. I hate my sister-in-law. I hate somebody, and I am just consumed like it keeps me up at night. I'm angry. I have daydreams about them getting hit by a bus. Like, it's no good. I, I'm, in, I'm, tr I'm struggling. They confess something like that to you. You listen. You just listen. Nod your head. Listen to what they say. Maybe say a little prayer if you feel like it's appropriate. And then, a few days later, what you do is you check in with them. You say, hey, How's that, uh, how's, how's that little uh, getting hit by a bus thing going? Like, are you okay? Are you, are you doing better? I was thinking about you. Let, you. You with me? Because two things happen now. You unburden yourself, and then the other person has an opportunity to play a part in your story. And the other person, the person on the receiving end of the confession, knows that they're not the only one struggling with their stuff. And you'd be amazed, especially in a community group. You'd be amazed and how much a little vulnerability can open things up and help everyone start talking about their issues, and all of a sudden, everyone's going, I thought I was the only one who struggled with that. You're not the only one struggling with what you're struggling with. We're called to confess our sins to one another. That just means being honest, being open, and being authentic. Yes? Yeah. And then James concludes with this. My dear brothers and sisters, this is verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. If someone wanders and is brought back, do you know somebody who's wandering today? Who's just far away? from God, what would it take to bring them back? Well, let's start with this. It's not in our power to bring anybody anywhere spiritually. People have to want to do a certain thing. If it was within our power to bring somebody to, back to church, we would all be doing that. But this takes a willingness on, on, on the person's side to, to, to want to come back. Did you follow that? I don't want you to feel guilty because there's somebody in your life who's maybe far from God right now. But what do we do? And James says if, if somebody is able to bring that person back, which means it is conceivable that it could happen, if you could bring a person back in to connection with God, what would, what, how would that look? What would that be? What would that be like? Because it would be beautiful. I mean, that would be a beautiful thing. Look to it. Come on, look to the text. Look to what it says. It's going to be love that wins the day. Not judgment. Somebody wanders from God, the temptation is to judge. The temptation always to think, yeah, it's really a shame. They're out there doing their thing. They're out there, oh, that's no good, man. And, oh, it's really sad. I'm really concerned about it. And, and there's, it's just easy to take that platform. It's easy to take that tack. It's easy to take that on-ramp into that kind of thinking. And what we're called to do is to live differently. Come on. You, you understand you need faith, right? You understand you need faith. But James also says, and this is really, really paramount in the book of James, Faith without works is dead, dead. So we're called to live different. You have faith, you still judge people, no good. You have faith, you're not tithing, no good. You have faith, you want to think your sin isn't as bad as somebody else's, no good. This is all happening in the early church, and it's all still happening in, in the church today. And these words are just as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago when they were written. We're called to love the world around us. You want to win people back you're going to have to do it with love, not with judgment, not with what you think of as tough love, with just regular good old-fashioned sacrificial love.
That's what we're called to. That's the kind of church God's called us to be. And if you're new and you got to listen to this, this very, very challenging text, I was so tempted to just skip over this stuff. But if you're here and you're listening to all this very challenging text, you may have a better beat on whether or not you want to be a part of this church. I hope you will be, because we're all, we're all kind of broken, we're all kind of weird, we're all kind of a little bit messed up, but we find our forgiveness and we find our completion in him, all of us, and that's the deal. And to celebrate that, to mark that, we're going to take communion together. So when you came in, hopefully you got yourself uh, one of these little cups, uh, gone are the days, at least for the moment, when we could pass elements down a row, so this is kind of, it's not the most elegant thing in the world, but this is what we got and this is what we're using. So if you have a minute, go ahead and take that and peel the cellophane off the top layer. It's okay if you need to ask for some help. Maybe somebody with long fingernails can help you. Okay, if you're still crinkling cellophane, ask for help. And on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me, the body of Christ. And now you can... Very gently peel back a little bit of that foil. And after the same manner, when he had given thanks, he took the cup. And he gave it to them, saying, take and drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me, the blood of Christ. Father, we love you and we thank you because we know what it cost you to set that table for us. We know the sacrifice you made to love us and bring us the way you loved us back into your presence. May we be a people that reflect that love to the world around us, knowing how broken we are, knowing how needy we are of your grace, reflecting you perfectly to those who need to hear that you offer new life, Father, the forgiveness of sins and a part to play in a vast, amazing story. May that be true for me. May that be true for all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. Or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word TRUENORTH to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.